0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning, it's good. Welcome, my name is Chris Moore, the Family Ministries Director here at the church. And I'm grateful to be able to open up God's word with you all this morning. And we are gonna continue our series on the church. And so a couple of weeks ago, you heard from Pastor Andy and he, he talked about the origin of the church. And last week, Eric talked about the purpose of the church. And today we're gonna to be talking about unity In the church. And so I'm gonna ask you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And as you are turning to that in your Bible, I also wanna just remind you all that we are gonna be having a celebration of Mina Rao and her retirement after this service. And so uh, Mina's been on staff here at LBC for 35 years, loving babies. Um, My wife, was two months old when Mina first came on staff and one of the first ones that Mina got to hold and all my kids got to be held by Mina and likely all of yours. So we're gonna celebrate her today and uh, we're gonna just celebrate the work that God has done through her, just loving families in, in our church. So let's pray and we're gonna jump into the word. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the great privilege and honor to be able to open up your word together as a family. God, to read it together and study it and so we can understand it, Lord, so we can, we can worship you in spirit and truth and we can understand your character and your nature and your will and how you want us to live. God, I'm so grateful that we have one source of this truth and that's your word. And it's that source of truth that we rely upon as a church in order to maintain the unity that you've given us. So pray that as we open up your word, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word into our hearts, and that we'd understand it, that we'd receive it. God, please get me out of the way. May it be your words and not mine. And the Father, may you be glorified. Lord, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so during the the pandemic, the last two or three years, and I apologize if I reference that a lot every time I'm up here preaching, but There's something about 2020 and 2021 and and the events that occurred that that changed the world. These were major things, and, and it had an impact on the church. What we saw during this time was Christians becoming very polarized over various issues. So we had political issues. We had race relations. We had whether to wear masks or not to wear masks, or whether to be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated. And the list can go on and on and on. And so the, the pressure from, on the church was from outside, and the pressure was also from within. And what we're not going to do is take a position on any of these issues, but merely acknowledge the fact that these issues put pressure on the church. And the church... Sometimes in some ways changed and in other ways did not. So the two extremes that we saw during this time, one was that churches saw that there was a division in the church. And we saw it, we saw Christians devouring each other over issues that were not gospel issues. And it was heartbreaking. And so the church naturally would want it, wanted to respond so we could see, guys, we're the same family. Let's stay together. And so some churches responded with unity at all costs, meaning they tried to be less offensive. They may even have grabbed onto one of these issues and made it a major and decided they were going to run on that just to try to keep the peace in the church. And what we saw is that there was an effort just to keep people in the seats, ironically, while also not meeting. And what we've seen now is that a lot of those churches are dying The other response was that churches stood firm. They stood firm on the gospel. They stood firm on the Bible and the truth. And there were people in the churches that would leave because they felt that the church was not addressing the issue that they were passionate about. Both extremes, unity at all costs, or walking away because the church isn't addressing an issue that you think is a concern, is a lack of biblical unity. And what we saw is that the church needs to understand what true unity is, and what it is not. And so hopefully today, in this passage, we're going to unpack biblical unity, so we can understand that. And hopefully you'll find that unity requires all of us to participate. All of us are part of the body of Christ. If you call Jesus Lord and Savior, you're part of the church, and you are to participate in this. We're also going to find that unity is not created While the world has movements, while everybody has a cause, the world sees that there's division and they're trying to create unity by rallying people around causes and and movements. But we see in the church that unity has been gifted to us. We don't create it. And so therefore, our job is to maintain it, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. We're to guard and protect this unity that's been given to us. By our triune God, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are perfectly united. So, we'll answer the question how does the church guard its unity? And I think in Ephesians 1 4, 1 through 6, it shows us that the the church guards its unity by remembering its beginning, by maintaining its pace, and by trusting its source. So, Ephesians chapter 1, we're gonna read that together, but we're gonna see there. That the church guards its unity by remembering its beginning. And so this is Paul. He's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, likely in Rome, writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. When we understand our calling, We remember our beginning. It's the idea of we remember where we came from. And so for us to understand our call, we need to understand that we're being called out or away from one thing and called to something else. That is a calling. And a great illustration, a great person to see that was called was the Apostle Paul. And so we see him in Acts chapter 8. Luke introduces us to Paul, who's a Pharisee. He's a high-ranking Pharisee with authority to arrest those who follow the way, those who were Christians. Not only arrest them, but at times he oversaw the murder of Christians. And so Paul on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, Jesus encounters him. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul is transformed. He's called from a life of persecuting the church to a life of defending the church dying for Christ, planting church, dying for the church. And so we need to understand what we have been called to. And Ephesians chapter 2 explains our calling. So let's let's unpack that. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. And Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, so that no one may boast. And what we see here is our calling. We see that we've been called out of death. We've been called to eternal life. We've been called away from following Satan to, call, to following Christ. Called away from serving ourselves to serving Christ and one another. We've been called out of being orphans to God's family. He says, together. Let's unpack together a little bit. Colossians 3.11, this is the church. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. While the world tries to unite in similarities, God unites in spite of our differences. That is the church. He calls us together. Unity is not uniformity. That's a little side note that we need to remember. We're also called out of God's wrath to God's favor and his kindness. And so when we forget our calling, when we forget where we've come from, then it's much harder for us to do with the rest of the work that we need to do that Paul's calling us to. So I'm reminded of maybe a professional athlete or maybe a musician who Came from nothing. We hear these stories all the time. Came from nothing, and despite all everything, they became a famous athlete or an amazing musician, and they're at the top, their household names, and they're wealthy. And and if you grew up with this person, and they may run into you, and all of a sudden they have this attitude like they're too good or you're beneath them, we would likely say, like, that dude forgot where he came from. He's no different than I am, Right? And so this great calling that we've been called to, sometimes we forget where we came from. But when we remember where we've come from, when we remember our beginning and what God has called us to, then it motivates us to do what he needs us to do. So we need to remind ourselves where we've come from. And I think there's a couple ways that God helps us do that. One is communion. The idea of remembering Jesus's death on the cross, the blood that he was that she shed, the body that he gave for us because we are sinners remembering that our sin put him on the cross. when we have the right perspective it helps us remember the amazing gift and the grace and we become grateful and thankful. The other gift that we have is repentance the constant evaluation of where we are in our sin and Turning from our sin and turning to Christ and repenting, that is a gift and it reminds us of where we've come from and who we are. And the third thing I think that we need to do often is uh, what I'm gonna ask you to do now. I'm gonna ask you to look just around the room. Just look to your left and right. Look at all the people in here. Sometimes we have a tendency to look at one another and think that the other person has it all together when we're struggling but none of us have it all together. We are sinful. And so when we can remember that all of us are in this together, that we need Jesus, that he paid for all of our sins, then it helps remind us of where we've come from. And we were willing to put the work in to maintain this unity. So when we remember where we've come from. It gives us motivation then to do the work to guard this great gift of unity. And it's hard work. And so we'll find in Ephesians 1 through 3 that the church guards its unity by maintaining its pace. So let's read those verses and unpack that a little bit. Again, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk, keyword there, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And we do this with with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When we think about walking, Paul uses that term all the time in his letters. It's just this idea of movement towards Christ. It's a journey. We're following him. It means that we don't stop. We continue to walk. What he does not say is we're not to sprint. And I'll unpack that. And it doesn't mean that we pull up a lounge chair and just hang out. And not do anything, but it's a continual movement towards Christ. And So then we think about walking, we think about the pace. What is the pace that we are to walk? When he uses the phrase eager to maintain, it means to make every effort. It's to do your best, to be diligent, to strive for unity, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he unpacks the four ways we do that. And I think the most important is humility. Because if we're not humble, we're not going to be gentle. If we're not humble, we're not going to be patient. If we're not humble, we're not going to remember how much the Lord needs to bear with us so that we can be motivated to bear with one another. Humility is the key. And so let's let's talk about humility. Because I think maybe we don't fully understand humility and we need to understand it biblically. So Romans 12.3 says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's not beating yourself up. But he says, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. It's simply saying, remember who you are, who you were. You're a sinner, desperate need of a savior, desperate need of grace. And that helps us stay sober. Proverbs 18.2 and verses 12 through three help unpack that a little bit more. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So humility is having a heart that's willing to understand the other person, willing to listen. Being able to listen and understand before giving their response. Not being so eager to express your opinion. And so when we think about church unity and we think about humility, we think about the fact that church unity requires two. There's two parties always involved. And when we think about unity, it often relates to correction. If we are sinners, that God is in the process of making more like Christ. If we are not perfected yet, it means we still need a lot of correction. We need to be reminded of who God is and how he wants us to live. And we're working together to to strive for pursuing Christ. And so when we think about correction, there's always one that needs to be corrected. And that person needs to receive the truth and being willing to adjust to the truth. They need humility. The person who's gonna be doing the correcting or reminding the person of truth, they also need humility. If we were to sprint, we would be like a bus. We'd be overly aggressive and we'd be harsh. And there's a a famous pastor uh, a few years ago, and his mantra essentially was, if you're not with us, if you're not in the bus, you're gonna get run over by the bus. And his approach to his church was harsh and not understanding, and his church fell apart because of it. That's not our approach. And we also don't take a lounging approach, which means we become cowardly and unwilling to address an issue. But Paul says we walk, we do it in humility. So when we think about correction, there's two types of people in the church that need to be corrected. There are wolves and there are sheep. And the church initially responds the same way, but the the end goal, end response is a little different. And so, Let's go to Acts 20, verses 28 through 31. Paul warns the church, and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So we see this ownership. Christ, we the bride of Christ is the church. This is God's church. And Paul says, I know that after my departure, what? Fierce wolves will come in among you Not sparing the flock. And then he says, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He says, therefore be alert. He's saying within your own body, people will come to try to pull the flock away, to devour the flock. And there's an example in this church, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul tells Timothy, go to the church in Ephesus because I need you to do some work. And this is what he says. As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And this is how he tells Timothy to approach him. The aim of our charge is love. The issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith is go to these men. You need to correct them. Do it in love, but they need to be corrected. Let me jump to verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. And by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And Hymenaeus and Alexander, we believe, were elders and leaders in the church in Ephesus. Timothy was called to correct them. And when Paul says, that I've handed them over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme, that means that he's saying we separate them from the fellowship of the believers so they can experience the void they can experience the, the lack of fellowship in the order that they might repent. The goal is to repent and turn back to truth. And so we see the church is commanded to deal with wolves urgently and sternly. And it reminds me of Matthew 18, and these verses are often misquoted. But when Jesus says that he is with us in this example, it's because it's hard work to discipline. He says, Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And what Jesus is not saying is that when two or three are gathered, that's the church. If you follow the context, he's saying where two or three are gathered in order to correct That I am with you because it is really hard to do. Our temptation is to sprint and mow them over, or it's to lounge and not do anything about it. But he's saying, I need you to walk in love, but I need you to correct. And so separating a wolf from the flock may sound unloving, but it's unloving to allow someone to teach something that's false and pull people away from God. False teaching leads to false living, and it's unloving to allow somebody to wreck themselves with sin and wreck their families and wreck the church because of sin and pull people away. It's unloving to allow someone to live in that. So we're called to love them and bring them back and help them, and lead them to repentance. So we see that wolves want to eat the sheep and they want to eat the shepherd because they're responding with unrepentance. The second group of people are sheep. And I was reminded of this when I was in college. My family, we moved away from Oildale. It was like 20 years old, and we moved out east side of town, uh, just past where the old Mason Marin racetrack used to be. And uh, I remember uh, leaving the house, pulling on a 178 one morning, and I was driving to Cal State where I was going to school. And um, at the time, it was spring, so there's lots of grass out in the fields, and there was sheep with his shepherd and some sheepdogs running around. And as I'm pulling out, I just saw the whole flock just change direction, like all together. I was blown away by it. almost ran off the road. I was fascinated. But they kind of did this a couple times, and a couple sheep would get stray, and and the the sheepdog would move them back in. But we find that sheep want to be led by a shepherd. They need to be led by a shepherd. Sheep wander. We all wander. So Acts 18, we get an example of what a sheep and how a sheep responds to correction. So we'll jump to Acts 18, 24 through 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. So if there's anybody who had reason to be proud, proud, prideful, it was this guy. Spoke really well, knew his stuff. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, who, who helped Paul plant this church in Ephesus, when they heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So something about his teaching wasn't fully right. So how do you think that Apollos responded to this correction? We get a hint, 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses four and six, four through six. Paul's telling them, "For when one says, "I follow Paul," and another, who, "I follow Apollos, are you not bearing, being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God." Gave the growth. And so Paul is rebuking the church for putting both of them on a pedestal. But the fact that Apollos was put on a pedestal on par with Paul tells you that he had major influence in the church. The correction that he received helped him become a better minister of the gospel. And that's why we need to be corrected, because all of us are called to be ministers of reconciliation, to share the gospel to be ministers on his behalf, and we all need to be fine-tuned. And so we need to be like Apollos who responds in humility, fine-tunes his message, and becomes way more effective for the gospel. So we see that sheep want to eat from the shepherd. and sheep respond with humility and growth. And it's for this reason when we get to Ephesians 4, 12 through 13, that we see that we labor in humility and gentleness and patience. If we go to Ephesians 4, 12 through 13, we see that Jesus gifted the the teachers, the apostles, the evangelists, and he lists other titles, and he does that to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're there to mature one another. We bear with one another as we grow. So when I think about walking in a worthy manner, what are some things that we can do to put in the work, to maintain, to guard this unity? And one, I think we need to evaluate our desire to be right. And what we've noticed in the past, especially on social media, is that everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a cause, and most of them are pretty lousy. So if we have a desire, if we have a passion, if we have a message, then we also then need to figure out if we can defend it with Scripture. If we're, if we're making a claim about God, if we're making a claim about the church, then we need to be able to back it up with Scripture. And so then, if we have that, then we need to approach the other person in gentleness, in patience, with love, and remember where we came from, which also means that we all need to be open to correction. And we need to make discipleship a priority. The way we get close enough to people to be able to see where they need correction, where they need to grow, is we've got to know them intimately, and that's through discipleship. And so if you're not being poured into by somebody or if you're not pouring into somebody else and helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus, then you're not going to be able to participate in this effort of unity. So be involved in discipleship. And So when we find our motivation, when we remember who we are, and then we're doing the hard work of maintaining this unity that we've been gifted, then lastly, we need to rest in our source, who is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We need to rally around that central source. He is the source of our unity. He is the source of our truth and the source of our instruction to maintain the unity of the church. And so we'll see in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, that the church guards its unity by trusting its source. So we'll read that. So Paul says, there is one body, and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, there's one boss. There's one, one, one in authority. There's one faith. There's not multiple faiths to God. Jesus made it clear: I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14:6. One baptism, one God and Father who is over all, He has all authority is through all. He's working through us to help this, maintain this unity, and he's working in us to help us become more like Christ. And so we find this one source. We understand this one source through his word. His word communicates to us his character, his nature, his will. And so when we do not trust this source, then we're going to believe all kinds of things. And I think that's what we saw when the churches had these extreme responses to this pressure was the one, the church that said, we're going to do unity at all costs. We're going to water it down to try to keep the peace. What they're essentially saying is we don't trust this. We don't trust that God has the power and the ability to keep the church united and that we just need to stay focused on him and his truth and his word. And those who may have walked away from a church who stood firm on the word, they're saying, I don't trust the source. I don't trust the word. I don't trust that God knows what he's doing with his church. And so our source is never changing. Our source is personal. Our source is eternal. And our source is unified. And so Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The world can fall apart, but God's word remains forever. So if it doesn't change and it's eternal, don't you think that we can trust it? Yes. We realize that we all change we share the same source. When you look at the world and you see movements and causes, causes and movements gain steam and they gain influence because they, 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 when they focus on one cause, it's a group of people that are hyper-focused and energetic and zealous about one thing. And so we have the one eternal thing that will never change. So we share the same source. And if we share the same source, then we need to be connected to the source. We need to know the source. Because if we don't know the source, then we're going to be hoodwinked by any wave and wind of doctrine that passes by our our culture. When we start wavering on truth, then we start wavering on the way we live. And all those take us away from God. But we need to remain connected to the source. And we need to trust that when we rely on the source, when we rally around the source, that God will do his work, God will do his work in us and through us to maintain our unity. So then I think about how how do we then stay connected to the source? And one is, it's more of a question, like how are you growing in your love and knowledge for God? I guess I follow up with another question, how do you? God's given his word. It's alive and active to transform us. We need to be in it. We need to be regularly reading the Bible in prayer. It also means that we need to be connected to the family. The hardest part about the pandemic was when churches stayed closed. The hard part about that is we saw people in the churches fall apart. It was depression and anxiety and and all the other things that came with that when that was the time when we needed to be gathered the most. But when we're gathered together, when we're part of the family, then we can see each other eyeball to eyeball. When you know somebody so well, then they can look at you and say, man, there's something's wrong. What's going on, man? How can I pray for you? We need to be that close. And lastly, I think a really good way for us to... Uh, remember and trust the source is, is, is review the, the statement of faith at our church. And What I'm not saying is that our statement of faith is gospel. I'm not saying that it, is, it is, should be replacing the Bible, but what we've done in the statement of faith and what smart churches do is they say these are the core doctrines that we want us as a church to stand firm on. And so take a look at the statement of faith Allow it to push you into Scripture and examine all the verses that we're unpacking so that we know the truth of Scripture because we want to know what we need to major in. We want to know what we need to hold each other accountable to. We want to know the things that, that we as a church are not going to waver from, the unchanging truths in Scripture. And what we need to understand is those are the things that are going to come under the attack the most because they affect the nature and character of God and how he, how he desires us to live. And Satan is not dumb. He knows where to attack. And so we'll find in, these, in this passage is that our unity is not found in celebrating our differences. That's the mantra in the world. We need to celebrate our differences. We're called to celebrate Christ who unites us in spite of our differences. Our unity is not found in a movement or a cause, but in the unchanging truth of God, our source of truth that we find in Scripture. And unity is a gift and it can be lost. We can destroy our unity by not maintaining our pace. And therefore, we're responsible to protect it, to guard it, to maintain it by living a life worthy of the calling that we have been called to. So when we remember our beginning, when we maintain our pace and we trust our source, that's when we're able to guard and protect our unity. And so I'm gonna pray and we're gonna go into a time of communion after that. And and I mentioned communion earlier in the service and it's important for two reasons. We remember Christ and then we remember who we are before a holy Righteous God, and I'm grateful that God has instituted that for us as a reminder because we need it. We're sheep and need to be reminded of who the amazing grace and gift of Jesus. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into that. Father, thank you so much for this time to just dig into your word, and thank you that it's your word that we can trust. It's your word that we can trust because it communicates about our faithful, holy, righteous, just God who never changes. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus that without Christ's death and resurrection, we don't have a church. We do not have hope. We cannot be reconciled to you. Lord, help us to remember this amazing unity that we have. It's a miracle that you've created. Help us to do the work, to do our part, just to to maintain it and guard it. And God, as we uh, reflect on Jesus' death through communion, I pray that you would just help us remember where we've come from and the amazing gift that you have given us through Christ. So, Lord, bless this time as we do this, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so... This is, a, this is a gift that we have as a church to, to be able to do this frequently. And so what I'm going to encourage you all to do, if, if, if you're not a Christian in the room, if you do not call Jesus Lord and Savior, we, you're welcome here and we love you. We ask that not to partake in communion. And this is a great time for you to reflect on the amazing truth that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and that we're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And reflect on that and consider making Jesus your Lord and Savior today. And for us who are Christians, and this is a time for you to evaluate your heart and and time of repentance and also to reflect on Jesus' blood that was shed and, and the body that he gave for us. And so what I'd like for us to do at this time, just you and your family, just spend the next minute or two and just just praying and, and thinking through that. And, and then we're gonna come back together and we're gonna take the bread and the cup together. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you take that time now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 24. Paul saying, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. mouth gets a little dry, we've got liquid to help with that. Paul continues, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. continues, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Let's celebrate. Let's be grateful for this great gift of unity, grateful for the gift of Jesus paying the penalty for our sins, dying and rising again and giving us life. Let's celebrate this. Father, thank you for today and your word Thank you for the great gift of unity. Thank you that you have called us to you out of darkness and into light, out of death and into eternal life. It was by your grace, not by works so that none of us may boast. Thank you for this gift, Lord. May we celebrate you. May we praise you and worship you for who you are because you are amazing, holy, righteous, eternal God thank you for loving us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.